Hello and thank you for listening to the second season of the iStart PIA Relay podcast series brought to you by Dementia Researcher. iStart is a professional society and part of the Alzheimer's Association, representing scientists, physicians and other dementia professionals active in researching and understanding the causes and treatments of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. In this five-part series, we have once again asked members of the iStart professional interest areas to take turns at interviewing their colleagues and being interviewed themselves, with the interviewee going on to be the next episode's interviewer. We'll be releasing one of these podcasts each day in the build-up to the Alzheimer's Association's International Virtual Conference to showcase the work of iStart PIAs. Thank you for listening. everyone and thanks for joining us. I'm Zainer Ismail and I'm a professor of psychiatry, neurology, epidemiology and pathology at the University of Calgary in the Hotchkiss Brain Institute. I chair the neuropsychiatric syndromes professional interest area. Today I'm delighted to be talking with Jennifer Whitwell. Hello Jennifer, can I start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us which PIA you're involved with? Yes, hi. So my name's uh, Jennifer Whitwell. I'm a professor of radiology at Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. And I am actually the vice chair, but soon to be chair of the atypical Alzheimer's disease peer. Wonderful. Now, can you tell me, um, first of all, maybe a little bit about your own research and, and what brought you to dementia research? Yeah, so... You know, I actually think I kind of fell into dementia research, honestly. So I did a degree in biology in the UK, and then I, I left university and I was literally looking for a job, something that involved biology, so I could use what I'd learned at my, in my degree. And I got a job at the Dementia Research Centre in UCL, London, as a research assistant. And then I got the opportunity to do a PhD with them, which was great. And so I, at, at the time, I was just looking for a job that that was interesting and involved biology. So that's what I mean by I kind of fell into it. And then I think I've stayed all these years because it's just such a fascinating area to work in. There's always questions to ask and there's, there's always new technologies to use to assess different aspects of the brain and learn about these diseases. So that's kind of how I, I started. And then now I'm a, my research really focuses on using neuroimaging, so both MR and PET, um, to really help understand different neurodegenerative diseases and then over the last 10 years or so I've really had a focus on looking at um, atypical variants of Alzheimer's disease and um, using all sorts of different neuroimaging techniques to learn about the what's happening with the proteins in the brain clinical correlates of those changes um, to really help us understand the diseases. Fantastic what are the hot topics in your field at the moment? You know you know I was thinking a lot about this I think We've, we've really recognized recently over the last uh, number of years that there's a lot of heterogeneity in Alzheimer's disease, right? So we have different clinical phenotypes of Alzheimer's disease. People have different symptoms when they come in to the doctor. And, we all, and these patients that have these atypical presentations also have different patterns of neurodegeneration in the brain. They have different distributions of tau proteins in their, in their brain when they die. There's a lot... And, a lot of heterogeneity. So I think a lot of work recently has been to try to better understand the mechanisms underlying this heterogeneity. 
uh, things like genetic associations, even proteinomic associations, studies looking at connectivity, how the brain is connected into itself and how that's related to why the tau proteins are deposited in these regions and how they spread over time and how can we explain all this heterogeneity? Why do we see patients with have, that have these different clinical phenotypes and the different patterns of degeneration in the brain? Why are we seeing that and how are they spreading? And there's just been a lot of um, work in that area from many different fields actually trying to better understand these mechanisms. We don't really fully understand it yet, but we have techniques that we can use to start to to try to peel it away and, and better understand what's happening in Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that. There is that recent paper by Vogel et al. in Nature Medicine, I think led by Oscar Hansen, where they, they reviewed you know, almost 2,000 tau PET scans and determined you know, that in these, in these AD patients that there were four different clinical phenotypes, some of which we anticipated, language variants, posterior, um, you know, typical temporal, but also the, the asymmetric. And, and to me, that was really interesting because it reminded me of a patient I saw who uh, was biomarker confirmed um, AD, amyloid tau, tau positive, but had, you know, corticobasal uh, features. And, and trying to reconcile those two in my brain was challenging. And it was a real eye-opener, that paper. And I guess very consistent with what you're saying is that while we have a clinical syndrome that we, we best guess um, describes the underlying uh, you know, pathology that, that it, can, it can be really, really varied. So what are the specific you know, um, you know, type of work uh, that you're doing that your field is to, to really further hone down on this heterogeneity? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great question. And actually, I, that's the sort of topic of my R01. I have an R01 in out, out, atypical Alzheimer's disease at the minute. And we're doing just that, trying to think of, use neuroimaging, because that's really my background, to look at different mechanisms underlying um, this heterogeneity. So we're looking at functional connectivity. I think we've we found some really nice results showing there's different relationships between the way the brain's organized functionally and the different proteins evidence that amyloid and tau are related to different properties of the functional um, connectome and, and that might determine how they spread. Um, we've started to look at, uh, use imaging to look at iron deposition in the brain. Is that playing a role in what's happening? And I think genetics as well. We're, we're branching more into genetics to see um, if there's any risk loci that are contributing to this heterogeneity. And, you know, another really interesting aspect of heterogeneity in Alzheimer's disease is age. There's a really strong age association in Alzheimer's disease with younger people having a lot more tau and neurodegeneration in their cortex and older people less of that. Um, also, the other interesting thing that really has come to light in the next last 10 years is the contributions of other proteins in the Alzheimer's spectrum. So that older people with Alzheimer's disease are more likely to have other proteins in their brain, TDP43, you know, vascular pathologies, Lewy body pathologies, the younger atypical patients are less likely to have that. So I think path, path assessments is super important as well to look at, start to understand this heterogeneity. We have different proteins contributing in different patients along the spectrum of Alzheimer's disease and those contributions vary with age. That's a really insightful point and we appreciate that. Um, to think about it by age. I was also thinking of, of alpha-synuclein, which we'll see, you know, mm -hmm. we see in especially the late onset AD in the latter half or the latter third of their illness. Um, yeah. But to, to think that, that 
the earlier onset patients tend to be probably a little bit more homogenous or you know um, proteinopathy pure compared to those who are who are later on and and we, you know especially with with AD when other other features can really look or contribute to that 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 clinical you know phenotypic picture so it, that's that's a really helpful point when it comes to your work then how would you you know incorporate age even more so than we do to really look at that would you stratify by age would you would you um, you know how, how would you vary for that to, to maybe control this energy? yeah yeah I mean it depends on the study and it can get very tricky so we we've done some studies where we look at correlations with age to see you know these studies where we found younger people have more tau in the cortex and and so there you're just age is your is your main variable and you look at what's associated with that where it gets tricky is accounting for age when you want to look at difference across phenotypes in alzheimer's disease because the age can vary widely so if you're comparing a, a younger patient to an older patient that it's very hard to co-vary that age effect out because it's not just a, a linear effect of age you, you think of aging as well, as you get older, you just have more brain shrinkage and more atrophy, but it's not really that straightforward when your younger patients ha actually have more neurodegeneration in some regions than your older patients, and you don't want to remove your disease effect when you're accounting for age. I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think it's, no, it, it's, it, it, it's tricky it, it does to deal because, with. Yeah. You, you know, in, in, in some of our studies, we've, we've tried to, instead of just age on its own, to account for duration of illness, for example. Yeah. as, as uh, another part of that variable, because that might then incorporate, or age of onset, right, either or, to, to in, incorporate some of those features. But the way, you, the way you describe it really crystallizes it. With respect to your PIA then, um, how, does the, how does the PIA contribute to, to, to your work specifically and, and to this body of work globally? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been trying, we've done a number of things that we think are helping support the, the atypical AD field. I mean, the first is just providing a, a scientific session that's focused on, on atypical Alzheimer's disease, a place where people can come and present their work and discuss issues related to atypical AD. I think abstracts on atypical AD syndromes can get lost in the main meeting, you know, and maybe don't get so much of a chance to get oral presentations because there's so much in, in more the typical Alzheimer's. I'm not really sure even how to describe typical AD anymore, but in that sort of typical AD field. So I think abstracts can get lost. So I think it's nice, it's really nice to have that little session where we can all get together and talk about issues. Um, we also have a featured research um, symposium at AIC. We had one last year and we have another one this year. So that really focuses on um, heterogeneity across Alzheimer's disease and atypical AD. And we've um, started a webinar series really aiming for to give educational webinars we had a year in review webinar um i was going to say earlier in the year i think it was the end of last year which was really well received and well attended and that was just a really nice review of, of um work in atypical lady over the preceding year so we're going to continue to do those and we're also planning some educational webinars that go through some of the different clinical syndromes associated with atypical AD, talk about issues that, that pertain to those syndromes, look at other neuroimaging and other findings, really to sort of provide a nice educational series. Um, we also send out newsletters. We put newsletters out to our membership a few times a year, which talk about the work of the PR and then also some general um, notable publications in atypical AD and issues related to atypical AD. 
And we've also started, and we, we're going to continue this, collaborating with other peers. So um, we are we focus on atypical Alzheimer's disease, but there's so much overlap with some of the other peers, particularly the neuroimaging peer or many other peers. So we, we have had a collaboration with the neuroimaging peer where we had a little session in their AAI, AAIC day session back in 2019, I think, was it? yeah, or was it last year? And then they're going to have some abstracts in our uh, session this year. So we're going to try and really establish more collaborations across peers to really bring um, bring fields together and to increase education on atypical AD across other peers that may not know so much about it. So it, it seems that, you know, given, given that the atypical dementias are relatively less frequent compared, you know, to what we might see as more typical or classical phenotypic AD, um, your work is, is extensively through the PIA around educating, you know, PIA members as well as other PIAs and, um, and groups on on the nature and extent of these illnesses, is there uh, you know collaborative research going on within the within the PIA amongst the different uh, members, and is, is the PIA kind of fostering that 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 generation of research ideas, which are then implemented by different members? Yeah, you know we um, one um, sort of study that was sort of started by the the PIA um, is a a white paper on posterior cortical atrophy, which is one of the atypical AD syndromes, really led by a group in London. Um, so we've really been supporting that. And I think that they are close to being finished this year. So they were really looking at um, the, really the symptoms, trying to better define posterior cortical atrophy and look at the symptoms that people observe in this disease and try to really just help in, with diagnosis and definition. So we've been supporting that effort, um, which would give us a um, a white paper and I think we really need to strive to do more I think as a peer more collaborations within us and to, I think there's so many things in the field that need better better definitions and, and collaborations are going to really help with that. Yeah I, I, I agree the uh, the PIA white papers I think are very helpful and when I mm -hmm. see them I, I, you know and the expertise that uh, generates them they're very valuable documents informative and, and move the, the field forward. Uh, with respect to then, you know, inter-PIA collaborations, you know, and as a representative, as, you know, I'm the chair of the neuropsychiatric syndromes PIA, to what extent is, um, you know, is the discussion in the atypical dementias in the PIA colored uh, by behavior, for example? Hmm, behaviors. You know, we don't see a lot of a lot of work coming through the PIA really looking at, I'll be honest, clinical aspects of atypical AD. We see a lot of neuroimaging work, and that's where, you know, where I focus too. We have recently started to look at some, do we see behavioral abnormalities in these atypical variants? And you absolutely do. And in the last year or so, we, we now have um, a behavioral variant of Alzheimer's disease that's been better defined. So there's a paper out there on the, on the behavioral variant. So you really can see patients that present sort of with a um, behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia uh, but end up with an Alzheimer's pathology. So there's definitely increasing recognition of that. And I think our broad spectrum of what we consider atypical Alzheimer's disease is widening. Um, we, we also have a disexecutive syndrome of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and I think we're going to realize that some of these syndromes are more common than we, than we first thought. A lot of my research has been on and the logopenic variant of logopenic progressive aphasia, the language variant of Alzheimer's disease and posterior cortical atrophy. But we really have a, a widening definition of what atypical 
AD is. And with the cortical basal mm-hmm. syndrome, like you, you uh, mentioned as well, it's very heterogeneous. And there's a lot of overlap between a lot of those syndromes as well, which I think we need to better look into and better think about when we define, define them. What are the criteria we're using for you know, a language variant of Alzheimer's disease or, or the cortical basal syndrome or praxis variant of Alzheimer's? I think we need to, there's more work that needs to be done looking at overlap between them. And people don't always fit nicely into categories. <laughs> I, I would agree. I think, I think the language variants for me are the hardest to really nail down because the, the, the sort of the clinical acumen or the, you know, the, the ability to detect uh, changes in language is, is, is it's, a, it's challenging. And, and, you know, I, I see patients that can, they can look logopenic, they can look semantic, you know, they can look, it's, it's, it, 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 it really, it really varies. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I would imagine that, that there, especially uh, the, the imaging, the biomarker findings are really going to, going to help when the clinical picture is, is challenging. I'm certainly much more likely to, to, uh, obtain biomarkers in, in, in that population just because sometimes I'm not always sure. You also yeah. mentioned the, the posterior cortical syndrome and, and, in, and in the context of behavior, I think some of the most agitated patients I've ever seen were those that had uh, blindness and, uh, and, and PCA uh, and, and, and just so tragic to see people lose their eyesight and, and kind of you know wander through the system, changing their glasses numerous times and, seeing optometrists and ophthalmologists and, you know, yeah. uh, and, and the diagnosis being, being so delayed. Um, I also see, you know, uh, PCA as one of those areas where AI, um, you know, is, might help uh, generate interesting models because it seems like the AI models already are looking at visual recognition, you know, and, and categorizing you know, flowers and trucks into, into super categories or, or differentiating between subtypes. And, and probably in terms of our neurodegenerative diseases, um, PCA is the one that, that is, you know, probably best uh, um, harmonizes with, with, the, with the AI world. So I think and there, there's probably room for, for a lot of interaction there. And then, you know, also with imaging studies as you do. How is, how is machine learning and AI uh, taking hold in, in, in your line of research? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely blossoming, my goodness. Um, there is a lot of focus on machine learning techniques to, to better characterize disease, subtype disease. I, I mean, I think studies have shown there's various different subtypes, even within posterior cortical atrophy that have different, I mean, I mainly know about the imaging type of um, AI studies, but to, there's different, anatomical variants even even within these syndromes so I I think it's going to be incredibly helpful as time goes on I think there's a lot of interest in it and a lot of studies coming out I think for me it's knowing how to take the AI approaches and lead it back to something clinically useful at at the end you know so it's not sort of a black box that gives you an output something that really could be utilized and be useful in the clinic which I think people are for sure working on to really turn those findings into something that can help with diagnosis or prognosis or you know, tracking progression. Is there is there um, representation of that kind of expertise in in your PIA, for example? Um, yeah, there is. I mean, within our, maybe I'll, I'll tell you a bit about who's in our PIA. Um, first, That's I can give you a little. Where I was going. 
Uh, yeah, a little bit of a rundown of our PR. So our um, current chair of PR is uh, she's from Amsterdam. Um, like I said, I'm the vice chair, but I'll be taking over from Femco to start the AIC. And then our current immediate past chair is Melissa Murray from Mayo Clinic Jacksonville. Um, so our current, actually, we're doing a little bit of um, musical chairs in our peer at the moment. Our current programs chair is Rick Ossipepli from Amsterdam. He has a lot of experience in imaging and utilizing these types of techniques we've been talking about. And he's actually going to transition into the vice chair role after AIC. Um, and then our communications chair, Kia Yong from UCL, and he puts out the rights and newsletters out, the great newsletters for us. And he's going to become the programs chair after AIC. So I thought, like I said, we're doing some musical chairs. Uh, we have a great junior trainee, Bela Boone, also from Amsterdam, but she's currently doing a fellowship with uh, Melissa Murray in Jacksonville. And she is going to become the communications chair after AIC. So we're, we're switching around. And then we have a new um, a junior trainee Rosalina Mahanti from the Carolina Institute in Sweden so that'll be great she's joining us and she's going to take over the junior um, trainee role um, right after AIC so a lot of switching around of positions um, and a lot of changes in the committee coming but we're managing to keep a lot of the core group together and I think we're going to really um, be able to do a lot over the next couple of years. No, that's fantastic it sounds like the, the institutional knowledge will remain within the PIA but with just a transition uh, to greater responsibility for people who have been there. Yes, and different responsibility to slightly, yeah, yeah. Now, how can early career researchers who are listening become involved with your PIA? Yeah, you know, I think for early career researchers, the thing is to, you know, join iStart and then get, and join our PIA, join the membership of the PIA, and then they can receive the newsletters, they can receive, um, they can attend the webinars, the educational webinars, which I think would be great. They can apply for positions on the committee when they become available, especially like the junior trainee position would be great for somebody coming in. Um, they can also, I'd really encourage them to submit abstracts to our scientific session. We love to see abstracts from junior investigators and give them a platform and a chance to present their work. We also have a business meeting right after our scientific session, which I also think is a great thing to come along to. We'll be talking about the aims, goals of the PR, and people can you know, tell us what they think and what they would like to see us do over the next year or so. So I think all, all of those things, but start by becoming a member, a member of the PR, and then you'll get the communications and there'll be more clear way to get involved. Excellent. And, and it seems like you know, junior members are really participating in, in that communication and um, yes. to help, you know, provide, provide that level of comfort for, for, uh, you know, junior career and, 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 and trainees. Because I, I find in, in my experience that they're, they're sometimes a bit shy. I mean, you have a, you have a who's who of atypical, uh, you know, dementia in your, in your PS. So yeah. it's potentially in, intimidating. It's, it's nice to see that, that there's space for them and, and that they're welcome to participate. Yeah, I think it's great that we have the junior trainee roles. I think it's really important to get the younger, younger generation and the, and the junior investigators involved right from the beginning so they feel comfortable in the field and, and with everybody and really can start to see their work. Fantastic. Now, as, as we wrap up, uh, I'd like to ask you one, one final question, uh, unless you have more, more uh, to add to the topic. What advice would you give to any aspiring dementia researchers out there who are thinking of looking into dementia? Yeah, you know, I, I thought a lot about this one too. And I, 
I think the thing is to have a thick skin. I think that's what it is. When you come in as a junior investigator, you will write papers and you will put grants in that will get rejected. It, it's going to happen and you need to not be disheartened and you need to keep plugging at it, I think. Um, no matter how good your papers or grants are, they will get rejected, it, it will happen. And they, but you just have to keep trying and keep persevering, not take it personally and yeah. That's it, I think. You just keep keep trying and, and you will get there. Even the best grant you ever write could, you know, doesn't mean it's gonna get funded. It's, so you just have to keep trying. I think those are um, great words of wisdom, and not only for, for junior trainees, but but for all of us. And, and yes. the, the infamous reviewer too, um, you know, uh, helping us with, withstand those comments when they may or may not be accurate is is helpful for every single um, scientist out there and, and certainly you know to advise our, our junior trainees that, that that it gets better with time yeah and and it happens to all of us it doesn't matter how many years we've been yeah. in this field we, we will still get grants that won't be scored still get grants that are rejected still get papers rejected it, it's it doesn't matter what stage you're at it still happens so you should get used to it early <laughs> and, and that's right yeah not not take it personally Wonderful. Thank you for the fantastic discussion and, uh, and Jennifer for joining us today. And I look forward to interacting with you more uh, virtually in our case at AAIC. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. We should, um, we should do a collaboration across our peers too. <laughs> exactly, I was thinking the same. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. Thank you for listening. You can find profiles on today's panellists and information on how to become involved in iStart on our website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk and also at als.org forward slash iStart. We'll be back tomorrow with the next recording in our iStart PIA Relay podcast series. Finally, please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review of our podcast. You can do this on our website and in your podcast app. Thank you. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.